Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Romans 9. Why are some people saved and other people aren't? That is a big question. And sometimes you might ask that as you look out in the world and say, why are some people saved and others aren't? Maybe sometimes you're thinking of it more personally. Why am I saved and other people are not? And that is part of the question that Paul is getting to in Romans chapter 9. And what we will see, I think, is one of the clearest explanations that we see in Scripture about the role of God. And we will see there is a human perspective to this. Why are some people saved and others not? Well, some people have faith in God and respond to the gospel and others don't. But from a divine perspective, we would say, well, it's because of a choice that God makes. God shows mercy to people. And one way I've heard it put that I think is good is that both God is making a choice there and I am making a choice there. But my choice is predicated on God's choice. Now, I do think we see that clearly in Romans 9, but when we study this passage, we are going to see some things that will help us in understanding that and applying it. Because what we will see is why are some people saved and others aren't? Ultimately, the answer to that question, the very bottom line of it comes down to the mercy of God. God shows mercy to some in saving them. But the context in which this is brought up is incredibly important. Because if we look at the context of this passage, we will not come to a conclusion that downplays my responsibility, uh, the passion that I should have for unbelievers. No, that's actually where the passage starts. Look at the beginning of Romans 9. It says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So there, Look at the passion of that statement. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. That's why Paul is even going to ask the question that he's asking, because he cares so much about the salvation of his fellow Israelites, that he has sorrow and anguish in his heart. And he goes so far as to say he would trade places with them if it was possible. Now, that needs to be a a convicting starting place for us. Do you care this much about lost people? Do you have sorrow and anguish in your heart for those around you that you know are, are separated from Christ? Does that bother you, cause you pain, cause you sorrow like it did Paul? This should not merely be an academic discussion for us. 
This should be a a very emotionally engaged discussion for us, that we care so much about the people around us uh, that do not know Christ. And if we don't start there, we will inevitably stray as we continue to get into this topic. Uh, Then he goes on to then discuss what's going on with the people of Israel. And he's going to make it clear that God's promises have not failed. And then he says, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. And he's going on to make the argument, not every Israelite is saved. Well, how is that? And he uses the example of Jacob and Esau. They were both sons of Isaac. They were both sons of this promised son of Abraham. Yet, and this is important in verse 11, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, there it's saying this is an example of election, a word that we see in the Bible, and it gets to the idea of God choosing us. And here's an example. God chose Jacob and not Esau. And it's clear this was before they had done anything. And I think, I actually, I know a lot of times in America, what we try to do is, well, God chooses us because he knows we will choose him. Well, did you see that here in Romans 9? No, it, it doesn't say, well, God knew that Jacob would choose him, so he chose Jacob. No, it makes it clear he chose Jacob. And I don't see that uh, logic of God knowing who's going to choose him here in Romans 9. Frankly, I don't see that logic anywhere in the Bible. It's one of those things that I think we say because it helps it make sense to us. And that's where we can get off on on both sides of what can be a very complicated issue. When we talk about something like election, I remember one pastor saying, and I thought this was helpful, we are in the deep end of the theological pool. And so we need to have a lot of humility as we think about these things. And he said, no one stands on their feet in the deep end of the pool. And I think there was something to that, but I think in some ways that illustration sells short the gravity of what we're dealing with. We're not in the deep end of a pool. We're swimming in a deep ocean. When we're getting into topics like the sovereignty of God or election and how that interacts with human responsibility, we're not just in the deep end of a pool. We're in an ocean beyond what we can even tread water in. And so what we need is a boat in the ocean. We're going to drown if we're trying to figure this out on our own. We need a boat to navigate these deep waters. And I want to suggest to you that the Bible is that boat. And so we need to stick to what the Bible says. And what we'll be tempted to do lots of times is I'm going to go with what makes sense to me. And so sometimes I think that leads us to come up with explanations like, well, God knew I would choose him. So that's why he chose me when I'm like, that may make sense to you, but I don't see it in the Bible. And on the other side, what we can do a lot of other things. Well, if God chooses me, then my response doesn't really matter or evangelism doesn't really matter. Okay. In any of those thoughts, you've jumped off 
the boat. We have to stick to what the Bible says. And one of our biggest objections to this idea of God choosing us is, well, that's not fair. Well, it's it's like Paul anticipates that because in verse 14, as he's given this example of Jacob and Esau, he says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. He's saying it's not unfair. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And this verse is, I think, the clearest verse in all of the Bible on this topic where it says, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Right there. It depends on God. And then I think it tells us something that is incredibly helpful there, that it depends on God who has mercy. And I think that's so incredibly helpful for us because I think sometimes when we think of election, the image that come to people's mind is when you were picking teams for kickball and PE class in elementary school, and the teacher went down the line and just went, you're on team one, you're on team two, you're on team one, you're on team two, and so on down the line. And hey, you're over here and you're over there. And sometimes that's the concept we bring with us to election, that God just picked some people and dumped other people. That's not a fair depiction of what's going on because nobody deserves salvation. And that's clear. Everyone that is saved is getting God's mercy. It's not as if we're just coming in neutral and God puts some people on one side and others on another side. No, we are all coming into this wicked. And we see that in Romans 3. We see that in Romans 5. We've all fallen through Adam's sin. So we are all wicked and we all deserve to be sent to hell. That would be just for God to do, but he shows mercy to some of us. And that is, again, the bottom line reason why some of us are saved and some aren't, because God had mercy. He showed his grace and compassion to us, even though we didn't deserve it. So those that aren't saved can't cry out, that's not fair. No, because they are getting exactly what they deserve. Those of us who are saved are getting God's mercy. And again, there still will be ways this maybe grates against your sense uh, of what seems fair, because then it goes on to talk about Pharaoh and it talks about God being the potter and humans being the clay and even says some strong things like verse 22. What if God desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. And so there we see God has the right to do what he wants to do. And so we see a lot there in Romans 9 that should help us, I think, understand this idea of election. Yes, God chooses some to be saved, but he does so because of his mercy. Nobody deserves to be saved, but God shows mercy. And that's where if you are saved, you should be praising God for his mercy towards you. And especially if you are a Gentile, it it highlights that. Even some from among the Gentiles, as was said in Isaiah, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call 
beloved. So there, even talking about those of us that aren't part of the people of Israel, God has chosen us because of his mercy. So one way you should worship God, if you are a believer in response to Romans 9, is his mercy. That you should say, if I am saved... It is not because of me. There's no boasting on my part. It's because God has shown his compassion to me. But then he comes back again to the end and he starts thinking about some of these things from the human perspective. Well, why is Israel not saved? Why are some people in Israel not saved? And he highlights their unbelief. So that's where, again, we need to stay on the boat and not jump off the boat. And earlier I talked about, I think people jump off the boat by saying, God chooses me because I'll choose him. I don't, don't think we see that in the Bible. But then others jump off the boat by, well, if, if God chooses me through election, then the response of people isn't important or evangelism isn't important. And I want you to see from the beginning and the end of this uh, chapter how that's jumping off the boat. Too, because he highlights the unbelief of Israel at the end of this chapter. And do not abuse the doctrine of election by somehow letting yourself off the hook. If you know, I don't think I've responded rightly to the gospel. Don't say, well, I don't know if, if I'm one of God's elect or not. The Bible nowhere teaches people to think that way. Everywhere, it calls you to a response. It calls you to believe. And don't you dare use election to get you off the hook for that responsibility. And also, don't you dare use election to somehow uh, downplay the importance of evangelism. We're going to get to a lot of that in chapter 10, where we go next from Romans 9. But let me end where we began. This all comes from the passion of the Apostle Paul for the people around him, his countrymen, who did not know Christ. Do you have that kind of passion for the lost? So as we see God's role in election, I hope your heart is inspired to worship God for his mercy, but I hope your heart is also challenged by the example of the Apostle Paul and that you wouldn't misuse the doctrine of election, but that you would have a passion for the lost, that you would have sorrow and pain in your heart when you think of those who don't know Christ, and that you'd be committed, as we'll see in chapter 10, to doing something about it. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.